Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. What's up, Hope? How are we? Good. Awake in the house today. Well, welcome to those of you joining us online or at one of our physical campuses. Real quick before we jump in, I just want to reiterate, you've already heard about this Next Level Parenting Conference. It is going to be amazing next Saturday. And uh, I'm going to be there. Our director of Family Ministries, Heather's going to be there. Our director of Marriage Ministries is going to be there. A ton of other staff members. We'll have breakouts from um, no matter if you're a parent of a little one all the way up to empty nesters. It's going to be amazing. We have hundreds of people signed up already, but there's still some spots. So go to gethope.net slash conference for that. But this week, we are in the third week of our series that we've been calling Saying No to God, where we've been walking through the book of Jonah together. And the first week, just as a refresher, we learned that all of us have said no to God at some point in our life. Uh, Maybe you've given God a blanket no over your whole life, but most of us have at least said no to God in one or two areas of our life. And we learned that saying no to God always plays out the same way. It always leads down a predictable path. It always leads to us saying yes to some crazy and some dangerous and dumb things. It leads to a life that has this this way of just falling apart or unraveling. Um, And it always means that the people that we're closest to get caught up in the fallout. They get hit by the shrapnel. But as many times as we say no to God, we learn that God has already said yes to us, that he's committed to us, to our, to our present good and to our eternal good. And we saw that commitment last week as Clay walked us all the way through the rest of chapter one where God pursues Jonah, but in a weird way, he uses a storm. It's what we call a drastic grace or a severe mercy where God doesn't use the storm to punish him, but he uses it to pursue him. Well, this week we're gonna see all of that, the no, the running, Uh, The unraveling, the consequences, the fallout, all of that finally get Jonah's attention. And Jonah, in our verses today, is going to stop. He's going to stop running and turn towards God and finally say that first yes that he should have said all the way at the beginning of that book. And this week is all about what reconciliation with God looks like. What the process of God putting our feet back on solid ground or getting our life back on the right track looks like. And this is so important because I think we talk a lot about, as pastors especially, what the road to sin looks like, but we don't often dive deep into what the process of reconciliation looks like. So this is going to be a really cool day. So hopefully um, you have that, your Jonah book marked in your Bible by this little page marker. You can go ahead and turn there. It's really hard to find again. A guy the first week said, I just flip in the Old Testament till I see names that remind me of Star Wars characters like Nahum and Obadiah, and you're on the right track there. So uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. Just a reminder, uh, God told Jonah, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. Uh, Tell them they got 40 days to repent. If they do, I'll show them mercy. Uh, Jonah got down on his knees and said, dear God, no, in Jesus' name. And he tried to go to the opposite side of the globe. He hopped on a boat, which is a dumb thing to do if you're running from God. Uh, God sent a storm that got super crazy. The sailors were freaking out. How can we stop this? Jonah said, Just throw me overboard. I'm pretty sure that'll do it. So they did, and immediately the storm ceases, 
And so that's where we pick it up, where Jonah's kind of wide-eyed, floating in the ocean, and this is what happens. It gets crazy. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I wish I could say this is the week where we get to read all the cool verses of all that went on when Jonah spent those days and those nights in the belly of that fish, but this is all that God gives us. And this is one of those parts of the Bible that doesn't really read how you would expect. I mean, this is the most famous part of the story. Everyone knows this is the main part of this book, but, but this is it. We get one verse. This is all that God gives us about Jonah's three days and three nights in Motel Shamu. Uh, but what we do have in the, is the entirety of chapter 2 is what Jonah learned during those days and nights. See, when Jonah was spit up onto dry land, spoiler alert, that's how we're going to end today, um, he has a, a time to kind of process what he thinks God was teaching him. And he kind of goes back to all the conversations that he had with God through the, those three days and three nights, and he distills it into this beautiful and profound piece of poetry that's really a prayer. And in this prayer, we're going to see three principles of what reconciling with God looks like. Three principles of how reconciling with God will play out in your life. And so maybe last week or the first week, if you're here and you were one of the people, the hundreds of people that decided to stop saying no and decided to say yes, to stop running from God and started to run towards him, this is how you can expect your life to play out in the next week or month or year. The first thing we see in Jonah's prayer and the first thing that Jonah realized is this. You can turn back to God at any time. No matter where you're at in life, no matter how far you've gone, you can turn back to God and he will welcome you back and he will receive you. It says this, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is like a, the afterlife, a holding place for spirits in the Old Testament, I cried and you heard my voice. So no matter where you are, Wherever you're at, you can always turn back to God and he's not gonna push you away. He will welcome you back and he will receive you. Now, I know we're big on grace and mercy here at Hope and we say that all the time. We say no perfect people allowed. We say no one's out of reach of God's grace and mercy, but I never want us to lose sight and just be amazed at the grace and the mercy of God. And it's so easy to do. I think, I think part of it is we treat sin a little flippantly sometimes. Like sometimes we actually believe that sin is an accident. We say things like, you know, I just kind of fell into sin or I just sort of wandered away from God or I was walking on a sidewalk and there was some ice and I slipped and I fell into a fridge and 17 beers just ended up in my stomach somehow, but not my fault. But if that's how you see sin, of course, you're not gonna appreciate God's grace and his mercy, no harm, no foul. But, but the reality is sin is never an accident. It's always a conscious decision. We choose to say no to God. We choose to run and we, we say, God, I know what you're saying. I hear your ways and your principles and your commands, but I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna choose to live life on my own. And, and when, we, when we feel the, 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 the fallout of that, when we finally get into the consequences, Jonah says that we can actually turn back to God and say, hey, hey, I know you told me not to do this, and I did it anyway, but will you help me out? And God will say yes. He will welcome you back. We're not like that. Have you ever uh, given advice to someone or maybe even pleaded with someone, hey, don't go down this path. 
I know where this is leading. You're going nowhere good. You're going to wreck this relationship or this is a bad decision. And then that person says, hey, you do you, I'll do me, chooses to not obey your advice, goes down that path. And then a few months later or a year later comes back to you and says, hey, can you help me out? How do we respond? Not welcome back, brother. We're like, I told you so, right? I told you not to go down that path. Uh, This happens in my parenting often. You parents will understand this. Probably about every two or three months, my oldest two daughters, um, they'll start tickling or like play fighting. You guys know what I'm talking about? And uh, you parents know that um, sibling uh, wrestling ends up nowhere good. Um, uh, What starts as friendly tickles um, ends with like yelling and crying and like a fight to the death. Am I right, parents? Yes. So every time they start, I'm like, hey, hey, don't do that. I know that you're laughing now, but in about 15 minutes, you're going to tickle your sister too hard. Then she's going to push you. Then you're going to punch her. Then a people's elbow is going to get thrown. And you're going to come crying to me to punish my, your sister. So, so don't do it. Don't even start. And what do they say every time? It's no big deal. We're just having fun. We're just playing. Relax, relax. So I go up to my room, and what happens? 15 minutes later, I hear these, these footsteps coming up the stairs, and one daughter comes in and says, you need to ground her until she's 35. And she says, she fractured my eyeball. She put her knee in my, my lungs, and I'm not like, welcome, children. It's okay. It's okay. Let's, let's discuss this even keel. No, no, no. I said, I told you not to even start. I told you not to do that. Don't come running back to me. Or sometimes, this has happened once or twice. Um, I used to do a lot of weddings. I don't do very many at all anymore. Uh, but when I do weddings, I always counsel the engaged couple a few times before the wedding day. And there have been one or two occasions where I've sat down with a couple, and after listening to them, I've said, y'all should not do this. Like, y'all should not get married. I don't even know why you think this is a good idea. I don't know if you like him or he likes you. Like, y'all should save the money, go on a nice vacation by yourselves, and just work on yourselves for a while. And that did not go over well. They say, you don't understand our love. No one understands our love. And so they will get one of their crazy friends to get ordained as a minister online with the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster or something, and they'll go through with the marriage. And then lo and behold, six months or a year later, what shows up in my email inbox? Hey, Pastor Chase, this is so-and-so, Bob and Sue, you counseled us, you wouldn't do our wedding, and our marriage is in shambles. Can you help us out? And I'm like, No way, Jose. I told you not to do it. I told you that was a dumb decision. This is this is this is your mess. Now I don't say that, okay? I'm a pastor. I have the Holy Spirit for crying out loud. I afford it to our marriage, Pastor. (laughs) But when people come to us after not agreeing with our advice or doing the exact opposite of the thing we told them to do and and it all blows up. We don't welcome them back with open arms, but what Jonah has learned is God does. God is not like us and that is a good thing. When you find yourself hitting rock bottom because of the choices that you've made, because you said no to God and you refused to obey his commands or his principles, you can turn to him at, at any time and say, God, will you help? And he will never, ever, ever say, you're on your own. He will never, ever, ever say, I told you so. No. He'll hear you, and he'll answer you, and he'll welcome you back, and he's going to say, yeah. Yeah, I'll help. In fact, I was kind of hoping you would ask, actually. So if you're afraid of how God will respond, if you turn back to him right now at this point in your life, don't be. He's waiting, and he's willing 
to welcome you back and embrace you. And he will give you the exact sort of help that you need. But odds are, it's not going to be the sort of help that you want in that moment. He will absolutely start a process of helping you and reconciling that relationship and bringing you back. But in 99% of the time, at least in my experience, that process of reconciliation, those first few days or weeks or months or even years, they're not what you're expecting. And you kind of need to be prepared for that. And this is going to be hard for some people to hear, but this is the pattern that we see in Jonah's life. And we see it all throughout the Bible. The moment you turn back to him, he will automatically forgive you. As far as the east is from the west, that's as far as your sins are from you. He will welcome you back. But listen, God will forgive your sins, but he won't always remove the consequences. He will forgive your sins, but he won't always remove the consequences. In fact, sometimes in the Bible, we see him actually amplify those consequences. Sometimes he sovereignly allows things to fall apart just a little bit more. And this is what Jonah learned. Jonah cries out to God. God hears him and he responds. But look at God's response. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Like Jonah calls out, God responds and welcomes him back. But the fish just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And notice that word you there. Jonah unapologetically says that these consequences are from the hand of God. He says, you cast me into the ocean. But you, God, you didn't stop there. You allowed me to go into the heart of the sea. Then you allowed the flood to surround me. Then you allowed me to go deeper and deeper and deeper until all the wind and the waves passed over me. And oh, by the way, that's your wind. And those are your waves. And it gets to a point where the consequences just keep coming, where Jonah's like, Are you even there, God? Like, do you not see what's going on? Why are you not stopping these consequences? And if you have chosen recently to stop saying no and say yes to God, to stop running and to run back towards him, you may find yourself asking that same question in the next few weeks or months. God, I said yes, I repented. Are you aware that all of this bad stuff is happening? Like, I said yes, but my marriage is still struggling. I said yes, but, but it looks like I'm still going to lose my job. I said yes, and you're not swooping in and fixing everything. What's the deal? Are you aware of this? And the truth is, he is. God's absolutely aware. In fact, he's in control of all of it, and he's going to use it. But the fact that those consequences don't stop immediately can be jarring. They can be disorienting. He might allow the marriage to get worse before it gets better. He might allow the debtors to come knock on the door to collect. He might allow the drinking or the drugs or the eating to take a toll on your body. He will remove your sin, but he won't always remove the consequences. And you see this all throughout the Bible. You see it in Jonah's life. You see it in Abraham's life. If you don't know these Old Testament characters, that's okay. But for those of you that do, um, Abraham felt this, consequences in Egypt. We see it in the life of Jacob especially with his brother Esau. We see it in the life of Moses, who still didn't get to enter the promised land. And we see it so clearly in the life of David, who committed that horrible sin of adultery and murder. And because of that, years down the road, it ends up he's lost three sons, and one of his daughters has lost her innocence. And for some people, this is hard to accept. And at first glance, it is, and I get it. I mean, 
how does Jesus tell us to, to think of God? He says he's your father. When you pray, pray to your father in heaven. And we hear that word father, which he is, and we think, well, what do good fathers do? Well, they provide and they protect. Like that's an important part of being a father, to protect his children. But we don't understand is that sometimes, more than the consequences, God needs to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from our, um, our, our penchant to just run into sin, our self-reliance, our pride, this idea that we know better. You see, a good father knows that occasionally you have to allow your child to experience the harsh consequences of rebellion, of disobedience, because if you don't, what happens? They don't learn. They don't learn from their mistakes. When I was growing up, I was actually born here in Cary. A lot of you don't know that. I only lived here for like eight weeks. And then we moved to um, Matthews, which is south of Charlotte. And I remember the house we lived in. It was a beautiful white house. It was on White Friars Lane, backed up to a cow field. And um, I remember the kitchen. I can still picture it because that's where me and my mom waited out Hurricane Hugo. Anybody live through Hugo in North Carolina? Really bad hurricane. Um, but I lived there when I was in kindergarten, first grade, and I think I, about the, I was about the height where I could finally see the stove. And so we had an electric stove. And the first time I saw that red burner turn on, I was like, that's a pretty burner. I want to touch it. So I said, Mom, can I touch that burner? And my mom said, did we drop you on your head? No. That's hot. You're going to burn yourself. Ouchie, ouchie. Don't touch. No, never do that. But I would ask and ask and ask, and sometimes I tried to touch that stove behind her back, and she'd slap my hand away. Well, I guess a few weeks after we lived there, finally she had had enough, and I said, Mom, can I please touch that stove? And she said, you want to touch the stove? Go for it. And she let me. And I remember the sound. I remember the smell, burning flesh. I remember the pain, and it hurt. And I had a scar for a few weeks, a few months. But you know what I never did again? I never touched that stove. Not on purpose because she let me feel the consequences. And I had learned something. I gained wisdom, and I learned that I needed to trust the heart of my mom, and we are the exact same way. Listen, listen, unless God allows us to feel the consequences sometimes, unless he allows us to feel the pain and the suffering and really the death that sin brings, we may still hold on to the thought that that sort of life of sin will eventually bring us joy. Unless we feel the pain that always accompanies sin, we may still entertain the thought, oh, sin might pay off one day. And God wants to teach us that that's not true. And so he allows us to feel the consequences of sin, and it's not God punishing you. It's God's way of teaching you what you need to learn. He will allow the consequences to cut, and to cut deep sometimes, but... He uses those cuts like a wise surgeon to do some necessary heart work. And that's the next thing we see in Jonah's prayer. God wants to change your heart more than he wants to change your circumstances. He's after your heart. He wants to change you. That's his priority. See, Jonah's situation actually gets worse. And it gets more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable before it gets better. You know what I think? I think Jonah repented about 17 seconds after that fish swallow. I mean, he was expecting to die, and when he didn't hear crunch, and he heard like gulp, and he realized he was alive, I think he said, okay, do over. You got my attention. I say, yes, I repent. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. But for 72 more hours, what'd that fish do? 
it just went down and down and down and down. And it got more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable. He says this in verse 5, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. That's about as far down as you can go. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. God makes it more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable when he presses Jonah and presses Jonah, and he doesn't relent. Instead, he uses that discomfort to, hum, to humble him and, and to kind of knock off pieces of his heart and to, to mold him. And it's only after that process, that uncomfortable process, that God says, hey, fish, you can start swimming upwards. And that does happen. Jonah's relieved. He says in verse 6, yet you brought my life up from the pit, finally, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. But see, it was only during that discomfort. It was only after that process of 72 hours of, of humbling, of God pressing him, that he finally had this aha moment. He had this paradigm shift. He had this epiphany where he really learned a central truth that would change his life. He actually writes it down. And some of you might want to circle this or underline it. We're going to come back to it. It's a great verse. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's how he sums up the lessons that he's learned. We're going to come back to that in a second. But notice, it's only after those humbling and those breaking three days that Jonah gets it. And those three days, or maybe in our life, three months or three years, they're not fun. You see, the moment that we turn and say yes to God, I think part of the reason that we do it is to get out of the circumstances that we've created for ourselves. I think a lot of the time that I, that I repent and I call out to God, it's because I've made such a mess and I want my circumstances to change. I want him to swoop in and save me from the mess that I've made. But God knows that he can change every single circumstance that you want. He can make that fish start swimming back up to the surface. He can give you back your marriage. He can give you back that debt. He can restore all the relationships that you threw away. He can, he can rebuild all the bridges that you have burned. But listen, listen, listen. Unless he changes you, you're going to be right back where you are right now in no time. You see? And that process of refining you and changing you, it takes time. It takes a season of humbling heart work. And it's a season where in my personal experience, I've been through a few. It's a season where God is way more thorough and way more patient than I want him to be. Um, my first two years in college, I was a dumb, punk, know-it-all kid, honestly. I graduated high school early. Mm, that's awesome. And uh, got accepted to a Christian university. Um, and um, I was a biblical studies major. I thought I knew all there was to know about the Bible. Had good grades, had lots of friends. And then I got a full-ride scholarship, full tuition, room and board, everything to play guitar. Sounds a lot cooler than it really was. Uh, I was in a band. We would go to 60 to 70 different churches a year all across the nation and uh, from big churches to small churches, and we would uh, play the same concert over and over and recruit uh, college students. So we let the parents know about them. So anyway, um, I did that for about two years, and then my third year I started going down a path, and you know my story, um, that was not a good path, and I made some dumb mistakes. And um, because of that, um, right before my third year, I was caught drinking underage. That's a no-no, no matter where you go. And I lost my full-ride scholarship. And I can remember that meeting so clearly. Um, the director of the band and one of the college directors sitting across the table and them giving the bad news, hey, 
You lost your spot on the band. You lost your full ride scholarship. And you may have lost the ability to even go to school here. It's that serious of offense. You might get kicked out of school. And that was like my, my big fish moment where God kind of got my attention, where the consequences caught up. And uh, I remember that meeting, and it was a humbling meeting. But what I didn't know during that meeting is that was just the very start of what would prove to be a long and humbling season and process of heart work. Because after that meeting, guess who I had to call? My dad. Hey, Dad. <laughs> I lost my full ride scholarship. And he responded as well as any father um, could. But that was humbling. And then I had to go back to my dorm and tell my friends, yeah, I lost my full ride. I was caught. I might be kicked out of school. And then uh, instead of kicking me out, they just decided it would be better if I did 150 hours of community service uh, in the cafeteria. And it was not cooking. <laughs> so for about three months, I had to put on a hairnet and uh, some bright yellow gloves. And I would take my friend's plates and wash them and clean them and uh, clean off all the tables, and I would mop the floor, and I'd awkwardly say hi to all my friends that were still in the band, um, that still had their scholarship. And then I, w I went home during winter break, and I remember seeing friends I hadn't seen in a while. How's the band going? I'm not on it anymore. And then we'd be in the grocery store with my parents, and my parents' friends would come up and ask me, how's the band going? I'm not in it anymore. And it was just this, this long-lasting, humbling, breaking um, season in my life. And that's just one example. That same season has happened in my job. It's happened in my marriage. It's happened in my parenting. And you want to be humble, have some kids and try to raise them. But what I've learned is that I needed those seasons. And I still do because my heart needed to be worked on. My circumstances didn't need to change. My heart did. And I still need that because I'm, I'm not done yet. I'm still in process. And you're the same way. So some of you have turned to God and said yes for the first time during this season, and you just need to know God welcomes you back with open arms. Some of the consequences are going to remain, and you're about to enter into a season of refining, a season of heart work where God's going to be thorough, and he's going to be patient, and it's going to get uncomfortable, and it's going to last way longer than you want, and it's going to be one of the best things that God has ever done for you. Because at the end of it, you'll really believe that truth in verse 8 where Jonah says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Or I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. Those who run away from God, they never get what they're looking for. And if you can get that. I mean, all the consequences, all the humbling, that's worth it. And that's where God wants to get you. And to teach you that, it's going to take some discomfort. But as I look back over that season of humbling in college and um, even in marriage and in ministry and in parenting, as uncomfortable as those seasons were, I would have to say beyond a doubt, I am thankful. I'm thankful. I would not be the person, which is not much, but I, I would not be the person I am today without that. And Jonah's the same way. Look at how he ends this prayer. It's phenomenal. He says, but I, after the running and the consequences and the storm and the 72 hours, he says, at the end of all of that, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will pay. That's the Old Testament way of worshiping. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. After all that he's been through, 
and going through that process of reconciliation. He's not done yet. We're going to see that next week. He says, my only response is thank you and worship and salvation belongs to the Lord. Oh, what a Savior. So if you've said yes to God and you've started that process of reconciliation and you're just asking yourself why, or asking God, why are these consequences still coming? Why is this season lasting so long? Why haven't you turned everything around? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. The right question is, what sort of heart work are you doing through this? What are you trying to get me to, to lose or to pick up? What are you trying to chip away? How are you trying to use this to grow me and mature me? Or who? Who is the person that you're trying to get me to become? Well, the story doesn't end there. It says this in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Blah. Maybe the Lord hummed a Nickelback song. I don't know. No, no one has an easy joke. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So Jonah, the runner... Jonah the goober, Jonah the prophet who disobeyed, he gets a second chance. And all of us do as well. And we'll see how he fares in the big city of Nineveh next week. But right now, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray for those that have recently said yes to you. May they not be disoriented. May they not stop in their journey. May they not put their hand to the plow and then look back. And Spirit, I pray that you would supernaturally, for all of us online at our campuses in this room right now, would you supernaturally just kind of whisper in our ears the reason, one reason why we're going through a hard time right now. You're not a God of mystery. You want us to know these things. Would you just reveal that to us? Why we're going through the relational trouble, why we're going through the financial problems, the health problems. Spirit, would you just reveal that to us? And then in response to that, we want to respond like Jonah. We want to go back to the altar to pay what we owe. We want to respond with thanksgiving and with worship because we have such an amazing Savior who's not content to just change our circumstances but wants to change our hearts. And it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.